This is the Champions Coffee Podcast on the Vigo Podcast Network. On this show, we take 20 minutes to celebrate the champions behind higher education student support and experience. These are the individuals who are pushing the boundaries and changing student lives on a daily basis. And we get to hear their stories and their visions for the sector. Hello world and welcome to the Champion Coffee podcast where every week we have coffee with an education professional who is out there on the front lines championing students to be all that they can be. This is episode 20. It's a very, very special one because this is the first one that we're actually doing face to face ever on this podcast. We are at Arizona State University in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I am your host, Ben Hallett, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Vigo. And Vigo is a learner support platform that helps educators connect their students to their mentors, their tutors, their advisors, their counselors, and all these other champions on campus. And at Vigo, we believe in celebrating the professionals who make all of these support services tick, which is why that we do this podcast. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by Philip Schaff. Philip is the Assistant Vice President of Student Success Initiatives at the Arizona State University. Without further ado, welcome, Philip. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, cheers, mate. Well, I'm at your uni, so. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Help. Thanks for coming across <laughs> the sea to make this happen. Yeah, cheers, mate. So I would love to kick off with a little bit more of a background on you. Sure. What led you to get into the education space or what are the reasons why you stay? Yeah. So, you know, it really is a learned experience for my parents. So grew up uh, my father's clergy. So my mm-hmm. entire life was dedicated to giving back, giving back to the community, giving back to others. Mm-hmm. My mom was an early education educator mm-hmm. uh, and then transitioned uh, to doing cancer uh, philanthropy work. And so mm-hmm. part of the core tenets of everything I was raised on was mm-hmm. how do you give back to those mm-hmm. around you? Um, through your own special gift. And so I was drawn into education mainly because I knew it was a place I could have profound impact both on the individual level, but also really on a massive scale. Uh, And what I've been able to do in my 20 plus years of a career is exactly that. And Mm. so um, I am still motivated because on a daily basis, I get to interact with the one-off student. um, Mm. And then at the same time, think about policy creation that might have impacts on 20, 30,000 people um, or an entire next generation. And so the motivation and knowing that I can still have impact, you know, even throughout everything else that's going Mm. on in the world and culture and things is still there and still real. And so, you know, it keeps me coming back every day and and wanting Mm. to continue to transform lives. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, education, it's it's the perfect thing for that feedback loop of the work you put in, you see it come back quite quickly to you. Yes, definitely. And, you know, you see it in the tangible and then you see it oftentimes in the intangible. Mm. Um, you know, the coolest thing, especially at the university and in 2022 and with technology is that you get to hear from alum mm. five, 10 years later, you know, well after you thought your impact on them yeah. had already, you know, kind of, you know, ceased to exist. And then they re-reach out and say, you know, because of something you said in your class or because of something you said in your office, mm. I'm doing this or I'm still doing this. And so it's not only that real-time feedback, but it's also that longitudinal feedback that you get, um, at least in the college level space, because we mm. get to really truly know our students, you know, as young adults and, and form some level of relationship. So kind awesome. of a special time. Well, I'm gonna, um, later on, I'm gonna circle back to one of those stories. All right. Uh, but I wanted to really direct this into, you know, how do you and the ASU team think about student experience and student success? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's an individualized definition. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're really particular here on is really thinking about the individual student. It, we are the largest public institution in the United States. And so, you know, oftentimes people would assume we do everything by numbers or you're just kind of cohorted into a space. Mm -hmm. You know, success for you might be different than success for me. Mm -hmm. And so we want to recognize that for a first generation student, success may be getting their degree regardless of how well they did academically. That is the most success that they could have ever have imagined, their family could have ever imagined, and they're going to propel their entire family into a new generation. Mm. What most people define success on might be academics, might be your first job, might be your salary. And so we're really particular here to think about what does that individual student need mm -hmm. to make sure that they are continuing to move forward? And so mm -hmm. for us, moving forward is probably a big determinant of are we successful or not? Mm -hmm. um, we also recognize that sometimes students see failure um, and we see success. And mm -hmm. so uh, for the first many years I was here, I oversaw all the pre-med education for the university. And students would oftentimes come to me and say, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Mm -hmm. And I would say, congratulations. And they would. <laughs> really be kind of flummoxed as to like, why am I congratulating them when they're not successful in what they wanted to do? And, you know, I saw it very differently. You now have recognized that you don't want to be a physician yeah. and now you've pivoted to something you're passionate about mm. and you want to do. And so that's a success. And so really trying to think about it from that way. Mm. At the end of the day, however, it is still based on, you mm. know, how many students are we able to get to graduate? Mm -hmm. um, how many students are we able to get successfully into careers or yeah. into grad schools? And so there are those metrics as well, mm -hmm. um, but it's not the motivator for the day-to-day. -day. The motivator from the day-to-day -day is, you know, what does Ben need and mm -hmm. what is Ben going to be happy with as he continues to progress through our academic experience? Yeah, right. Well, that's a great answer. I've never heard anyone congratulating to say they want to leave the degree. Um, so that's the first answer of it. Yeah, right. Was, yeah. It is a different way of thinking, right? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things here at Arizona State we do is we actually track during the first four semesters um, core curriculum for every student. Mm -hmm. And if you're not making su successful progress in that core curriculum, we actually work with you to get into a, an academic home that you can be successful in. Yep. What we don't want to see happen is a student kind of sitting in perpetuity. I know I can be an actuarial scientist, mm. but I can't finish college algebra. Yeah. And now we're five years later and we're still in college algebra. Yeah. And so we really work hard here to recognize that students' initial thoughts towards their successes, towards their careers may not be where they want to leave or mm -hmm. do leave. And so we need to really honor that and work with them to, to kind of champion that. Mm -hmm. It's also important because oftentimes that motivation and pressure is coming from their parents, right? Yeah. It's my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. My yeah. dad wanted me to be an engineer. Uh, and so it's also that navigation of how do we give them the skill sets to have those conversations and the understandings that, hey, now that I'm actually a humanities major, mom and dad, I, like I can still be successful. I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, be a curator of a museum and do really well. And so um, it's all of that, right? Um, and it's, it's really making sure we meet them where they are. Yeah, okay. And I guess now circling back, what is, this, what is the story that resonates for you about a time, you know, a particular student or a cohort of students where you look back and you said, you know, me and the team, we got it right that time. We nailed that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it was actually early on in my career here. Um, I was young and dumb, which probably was a benefit in this scenario <laughs> okay. um, because I, I probably you know, became too friendly with a group of students that now looking back on it, I would have, you know, not have done so, but it, yep. it was really truly impactful. And so I had a group of students approach me and they wanted to start a, a club or organization here on campus called mm -hmm. Camp Kesem. Mm -hmm. And at the time it had not been in any public institution. Mm -hmm. uh, and Camp Kesem is a, an organization that works with 
children whose parents have been affected by cancer. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a hidden disease. You might have a lot of uh, mental anxiety, you might have depression, mm -hmm. but you're not actually the sick person, right? Yeah. It's mom, it's dad. And this group of students you know, came to me and wanted to start this organization. And there was a lot of trepidation around it. There was a lot of concern around it because they were going to have to fundraise about $100,000 a year in order to be able to put on the camp. Yeah, well. Um, and so, you know, it's not an academic example, but it's an example where the administration really galvanized around a group of young students mm. that had a profound idea, yeah. that wanted to be transformative. And we knew that collectively and collaboratively, we could put the support mechanisms around them to really start on something, you know, unbelievably yeah. um, impactful. Uh, and so, you know, now we look at it 15 plus years later, we're one of the largest campuses for Camp Kesem in the country. Wow. You know, we have expanded from having eight campers the first year to now, you know, multiple weeks of camp with hundreds of people. And, and why I think about that as a success and something we just got right yeah. is we did not put any parameters around the student's success. Mm. We met them where they wanted to be. We helped them through guidance and through some structure to mm. get to where they wanted to be. But we really just allowed them to foster their own ideas. Mm. Um, I, I say I got a little too close and, and it was a positive in this case. You know, fundraising $100,000 at some point leans into you personally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so there's a lot of work that I, I yeah. ended up kind of taking on um, yeah. that I wouldn't probably at this point in my career. Yeah. Um, but it was a really unbelievable time in my young career. Yeah. Um, and now all these years later, most of these students are physicians and are just making incredible impact in, in the world. And I know to a person, every single one of them looks at Camp Kesem and that experience as a transformative moment. And yeah. so knowing that I was a part of it, knowing that I was a part of allowing it to happen, motivating it to happen, um, is really just still makes me happy. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, not necessarily academic in nature, but certainly a time where we just looked yeah. at a group of students and said, this is great, like, go. Yeah. Um, how can we support you? Awesome. All right, well, now, um, you and I, we've been talking a lot about where the future of student support is going to be going. And I yeah. want to bring that onto the podcast. So, you know, we're obviously running some pilots on some um, future stuff, but I'd love to get you know, your take for the audience. Five years from now, where is student support uh, going? Where, yeah. What does it maybe look like? Yeah. I mean, I think it looks completely different than what it does now, yep, right? right. Um, I think we are at the tail end of the way it was done. Mm -hmm. um, and now everybody's trying to figure out that next step. And certainly technology and COVID has really kind of ramped things in weird directions. Yeah. I think every student is looking for a personalized experience that allows them greater control in understanding the navigation necessary to be successful. Mm. I think what we've tried to do, at least in our institution, is create tools such as eAdvisor, which is a technological suite of tools for students to help navigate, but it's still fully embedded in our language. Yep. If you are not at Arizona State University speaking our language, knowing our tools, you really have no ability to self-navigate, even mm. in a self-navigation tool. Mm. And so to me, it's what's that next step? When I think about personalization, it's beyond an email that says, Dear Ben. Yeah. It's really understanding that the information we include in our delivery to students, the information we provide to students is all tailored to the things that we already know they mm -hmm. want and need. Mm -hmm. And really using the data collection tools that we have to actually create an experience that's more akin to what I would say is, you know, a Netflix or an Amazon experience where mm -hmm. we can see that based on these experiences that you're really going to gravitate well in this way. Mm -hmm. And why don't we start to introduce things to students to say, you you attended these five events, 
Yep. Why don't you think about this event? Yep. Or you took these four classes. Have you considered yeah. this as a minor? Yep. So how do we get to that level of in individualization where we take the, the data that we're consuming based on their activities and actions and actually translate that into a really specific list of recommendations, list of activities, mm. um, instead of it still being like, we know a lot about you yep. and we know a lot about you, yep. right? Instead it really being, we know about you and we're actually going to turn that around and give it back to you mm. in a way that's consumable in terms of activities and actions and engagement that we think are gonna cause you to be more successful. Yeah. Um, so we've played around with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're getting there. It's you know certainly you know not an easy yeah. uh, premise to undertake, but I really think that that's where we need to get. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about personalization and I would argue we're not there. Okay. And um, we're still in that, but, but we use their first name, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah okay, but, um, so I always use an example. I, I had broken my hip a few years ago and I got a medical bill that when I opened up was a video that told me how much I owed and how much I had paid and how much was remaining and how long I was in the hospital and, and all wow. that within five days of the injury. Mm. Um, and I was like, I mean, if we can do that for yeah. you know something like that, every single student that comes into the institution should receive a video that says, welcome, Ben. Yeah. We see that you're majoring in math and you're currently doing these things and we expect you to take these classes in the fall and I mean, really truly immerse yourself into that experience. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where we're going. Yeah. Um, I think how we get there is a, a totally different challenge. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly talking to an ed tech person, you know, platform implementation certainly can help um, and you know, personnel implementation is gonna be necessary um, because you know, we certainly still need the people to do the work from the data we derive from the technology. Yeah. Um, and so building those relationships in that way as well. Okay, awesome. Um, well, the, this is, I've been actually really looking forward to asking you this particular question. Um, what's a common misconception that you hear within the student experience space? Gosh. <laughs> um, or a controversial opinion you have. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about what the college experience is going to be. Mm -hmm. And that means that we can't ever meet it for students, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think we're still living in a space where a lot of, or at least a subset of students really think that this is gonna be a no holds bar space where they have complete and total access to do and take and experience. Mm -hmm. And the reality of most colleges is, is we're not there, right? Mm -hmm. It's still a pretty scripted space. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think the disconnect that I see more times than not is the student's preconceived knowledge of what they expect is going to happen okay. in college and what college really is. Yep. Um, and so what that means then is I, I think that there is an early shift in motivation for most students. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really need to harness what that shift is and, mm -hmm. and really work on that. Um, but I think what we really should start doing is also pushing information down further. Um, students coming out of high school need to have a better understanding and an anticipation of what the collegiate yep. experience is going to be like. Yep. What is it truly like to live on campus? What are the expectations of somebody that lives on campus? Mm -hmm. You know, you and I have been discussing um, many things, but you've said to me, but this is the place you live. Like, why would you do anything to hurt the place you live, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a mindset that, again, you know, we don't see in the 2022-year-old 20, yeah, yep. student. They're just coming in and this is the place that they're sleeping yeah, yeah. Um, where their stuff is housed right and yep. so again it's 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 all of those perceptions about the space mm -hmm. that then impacts the experience right mm -hmm. if everybody came in with a mindset of this is my home yep 
and these are all of my neighbors and I want to make my neighborhood amazing, yeah. it would be a totally different experience. All right. um, what about on the, um, on, the, uh, on the university side, so the administrative yeah. side, what's a misconception that you hear? Yeah. So, you know, a misconception is that students want to do everything we tell them to do. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think the misconception is we have a unique product that they can't get other places. Mm -hmm. And what I am finding more and more is that students, especially in the technological time, are becoming more and more savvy to get the information they want in any way they want to get it. And so I think from an experiential standpoint, we still think we hold all the keys. And in reality, most students are able to find the experience they want with or without us. And so I think we really need to focus on the things we truly do hold the keys to. Mm -hmm. Um, We hold the keys to our athletic activities. Mm -hmm. We hold the keys to some of our spaces. We hold the keys to large scale, massive programming that we can make individualized for the ASU student. Mm -hmm. We don't hold the keys for a lot of other engagement Mm -hmm. activities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we need to just recognize that Mm -hmm. is that the advent of, of technologies and even meetup pages and you know any type of online social media allows you to make connections in new and different ways. And mm-hmm. so when I went to school, you know, I'll date myself when I went to you know university in the nineties, mm. you know, you had to sit in the basement on a couch and watch a television show or you weren't going to meet anybody. Yeah. Nowadays, I go away to college and I know every single person that I went to high school with forever and I can talk to them all whenever I want to. Yep. And so it really is that differential change. And yep. what we're seeing or what I'm experiencing at least in the administration mm-hmm. is we're still lagging there a little bit. Okay. There's still a thought that they're gonna wanna do all these things because yep. we put them out there. And, yep. and, and the reality is, you know, they found that already and they don't need us to create that for them. Um, yep. They need something else from us. So okay. it's a shift okay. um, that we need to get to. All right. And um, this, is a, you know, this is an interesting one. Who is someone who inspires you in the education space? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, this is going to be on my parents, right? Because I won't be like overly... You can say your parents, you can say people said students, but you know, also, you know, another academic or professional or yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I would really say it was probably, um, actually my education instructor. Um, so I went to a very small liberal arts school in Boston, Massachusetts. You know, most of our classes were 12 or 14 people Mm -hmm. and I had Dr. Lewandowski, I'll never forget his name, Glenn Lewandowski, if you're out there listening. Um, And he taught me freshman year in an English class, and it was the first C I'd ever gotten in my life, and the last. Um, And, you know, a lot of it was transitioning to college. I had moved, you know, 2,600 miles away. Mm -hmm. I might have been having a little bit too good of a time. It was (laughs) a lot of variables. Um, And he really saw in me that that wasn't indicative of who I was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he actually outreached to me and said, I want you to take my next semester class because I want to continue working with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I went on to taking four or five classes from him, shifting out of English and in education, which is really where his, you know, field of interest and research was, Mm -hmm. uh, and taking a whole bunch of pedagogical courses and other things from him. And as I think about the work that I do as an institution, I always look for the me in the spaces I am. Here's somebody that obviously is not performing at the level that probably they have the ap- opportunity to or want to, yep. and that may be because of external variables or other things that are that are going on. And how do we, yep. or how do I, try to make those connections? And so yep. I really look at that relationship I have with Dr. Lewandowski as really transformative of seeing here's somebody that's got you know a doctorate at a university that 
doesn't need to care about me, mm. that took the time to really say, hey, I want you to continue on with me. We need to work on this. And then, you know, really saw me, you know, kind of get back to the old me or, or who I really was. Mm. Additionally, we became friends. Um, and mm. so, you know, I saw that also as something like, okay, you can actually be friends with your students. You yeah. can really know who they are. Uh, mm. And so um, it, it turns out that Dr. Lewandowski's family owns a, a locally owned uh, used bookstore here in Phoenix. Oh, wow. And so when I would come back home and things, um, I would actually be their book mule. Mm. Um, and so I would I get to know the family <laughs> and I would, you know, take books back and forth across the Smuggling country. Across the well, <laughs> they were all paid for. Okay, right, um, right. Mules, but the wrong term. Yeah, right. um, and so, you know, it really was a moment for me, Ben, where I saw education and an educator in a totally mm. new light, right? Mm. This wasn't just a teacher. It was a mentor. This was a mentor. A coach. This a was everything, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so I still think about that all the time. Yep. Um, that this is somebody that, like, it was the only time I'd ever struggled academically, you know? Mm. And he knew that it wasn't yeah. real. Just hearing you talk about that, it just flagged in my head uh, something I hadn't considered one of my most educational experiences and it was just like that it was someone who gave me tough love who was a, an authority that I you know really looked up to but tough love uh, and then backed it up by showing that that he cared and that drove one of the biggest changes in my whole entire life yeah um, sure love that thank, thank you for yeah, bringing that no to absolutely brain. absolutely final question you got it um, what advice or encouragement would you give to a student who is about to start at ASU in 2022 yeah I'll give you three sentences okay Oh, that's all I can give? <laughs> Complete <laughs> sentences? <laughs> no, about, no, number one, have fun. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to expand on that. Okay. You know, this is serious work. This is your full-time job. Mm -hmm. But you should enjoy your serious work and your full-time job. And yeah. if you're not enjoying this time, then what are we doing, mm -hmm. right? So have fun. Okay. This is going to be old school, and it's a reference that people may not get. <laughs> Tear off the tabs on posters. So when you walk down a hallway of any university, you see posters on every wall and they all have little tiny tabs you can take. Mm -hmm. I feel as though a lot of students nowadays are walking around with blinders on. They mm -hmm. think they know what they want. They think they know what they need. They think they know what they're doing. Yep. And they don't stop to pull off the tabs. Yeah. And the amount of cool experiences and opportunities <laughs> that come out of those tabs are, are, are huge. Yep. Um, and then lastly, I would say, you know, do something at least once a semester that scares you out mm -hmm. of your mind. Yeah. Whether that's doing something academically and taking a class that's kind of outside of your normal, whether that's going on a trip with peers, whether that's trying to engage socially in a different way, this is the time of your yep. life yep. to do that. Yep. And if you're not during this time, you're never going to get to. True. And so, you know, as somebody that's now considering himself old, <laughs> you know, I look back now and, and play that old person's view of like, gosh, you don't get to do this again. Um, yeah. But that's the truth, right? I mean, this is your opportunity to kind of do something that scares you and still be okay. Yeah. Um, as long as it didn't, you know, as long as it's legal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I just encourage that. Have fun, pull off the tabs, and try to do something that scares you. Love that. Wow. That was, um, are you media trained? <laughs> I, you know, advanced degree in communication. So, yeah, there you, you know, go. Very helps. well communicated. Well, <laughs> with that, I'm going to call it. So this has been uh, episode 20 of the Champions Coffee podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Philip, for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for everybody who is listening to this in post. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can go to the Vigo LinkedIn page or you can now uh, go on to Spotify, Apple Music or any other podcast uh, platform that you enjoy and they'll all be there as well. So hit subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Ben. Cheers.